You are listening to episode 66 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Jamie Loeb. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. I really appreciate you tuning into this episode. And on this one, we have a great interview with Jamie Loeb, who I met at the Players Party at the City Open in Washington, D.C., last month. And uh, it was really fantastic to meet her. She's very friendly and really a, a fantastic player um, coming up as a, a great uh, and highly ranked junior player. And then she went on to uh, UNC um, and uh, won a national championship there and now has a great pro career. And so we get into her career from the very beginning as a junior and uh, just the types of things that she's had to go through throughout her career in order to reach the top of the sport, and uh, just really a fun and engaging discussion, uh, one that I think you'll really enjoy and uh, get a lot out of as we discuss a lot of uh, really translatable tips, um, no matter what level you're at uh, in your tennis game. So I hope you enjoy this one, and without further ado, here is my interview with Jamie Loeb. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 66 of the Tennis Files podcast. It's an honor to have WTA pro Jamie Loeb on the show today. Uh, I actually met Jamie and her friend Tessa at the City Open Players Party last month, which uh, really was a lot of fun. And I just have to say, Jamie, I consider your dance moves to be among the top 10 of the WTA and ATP tours combined. So I just wanted to let you Thank know that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I really take pride in my dance moves and... Um, you know, some people, uh, you know, some people don't like them as much as, you know, I really do. Um, I get a lot of mixed reviews, but hey, I, I kind of own it and I do me and that's, yeah, that, that, that's just me and who everyone, everyone that knows me, um, knows I love to dance. So yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a good way to relax and, uh, you know, just, just do you. So that's great. I really enjoy that party. And just a little background on uh, Jamie's career so far. Uh, she's currently ranked 164 in the world on the WTA Tour in singles and 127 in doubles. Jamie is a proud UNC Tar Heel and played at UNC her freshman and sophomore years before turning pro. Uh, and she was actually part of the uh, 2015 National Championship team, which is uh, amazing. And she's also won uh, seven ITF singles titles and six ITF doubles titles, uh, if I have my research correct, at least. Um, and Jamie was born in Bronxville, New York, and was raised in Ossining, New York. Actually, uh, I well, I I know um, everyone always says Bronxville. I was technically born in the Bronxville Hospital, but I've lived and grew up in Ossining my whole life. So that that's like a tricky question when people ask me um, where I'm from because I'm like I'm from Austin, lived here all my life. I was just technically born in the Bronxville 
hospital. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I was born in D.C., but I never really lived there. So sometimes mm-hmm. people mix that up. But cool. Good, great to know. And Jamie also, uh, in addition to her dance moves, I really enjoy following uh, Jamie's uh, Instagram. Uh, you have a lot of great stories on there. And so I really encourage everybody to check out uh, Jamie's IG. It's really entertaining. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. So I need to also announce something right away. Um, I do not like fake news. And I, I just want to tell everyone that everybody, including me, thought that your mom was actually your first coach. But you told me before the interview that this is a farce. And I just want to ask you, what's up with this? <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess there are some commentators during my matches, maybe at the Open and uh, in D.C., that somehow got this information that my mom uh, taught me how to play tennis and was a tennis instructor at Club Fit in Briarcliff, which is not true whatsoever. Um, I love my mom. She's great, but she did, she did not teach me how to play tennis. Uh, fun fact, she's maybe watched, I think she's only watched one singles match in my entire life, which was <laughs> when I played Wozniacki uh, in the 2015 U.S. Open main draw. Other than that, she... Um, she gets too nervous and paces in the parking lot. She's watched some doubles matches, but throughout my junior college and professional career, I think she's watched one singles match. Um, she's watched some practices, but um, I prefer her not to. <laughs> she shows a lot in her face. I love her, but um, it's better that way. So yeah, um, my brothers, I'm the youngest of four. My brother, older brothers, Jason and Justin, and my sister, Jenna, all played tennis and I'm the youngest by a lot. So by the time I came around, they kind of, you know, got me into it. And, uh, I was sitting on the ping pong table when I was about, um, like two years old. Um, my brother Jason would feed me balls and I would just sit there. My other brother, Justin would hold me. So that's how I got into tennis. Um, yeah. That's awesome. And, um, I mean, who would you say was the most influential out of your entire family? Like, is there a, any one member that you looked up to more than the others, like as far as like their tennis game and learning from them? So my oldest brother, Jason, he went to Springfield College, played for them. Um, my other brother, Justin, he played or he actually didn't play for Quinnipiac. He played when he was younger, but um he just went to Quinnipiac. He didn't play tennis there. But my sister, Jenna, got a full ride to Wake Forest, and she played there. So, um, I mean, I'd say Jenna. Jenna was very accomplished as a junior. Um, she won the, the state championship three times, one time um, on a broken ankle. So that was pretty impressive. You know, she helped me a lot during my college process on, you know, where to go to school and just helping me out, which, you know, was really nice and not a lot of people have that um have those resources so it was unfortunate to have her but yeah no jenna jenna is very well accomplished she was you know top five in the nation so we had similar paths i just decided you know i wanted to do this as a living and took it a little more seriously and really um you know wanted to turn pro i think since i was maybe a junior i i, I wouldn't say like when i was 10 years old i was telling myself, oh my God, I want to be a professional tennis player. But I think maybe by the time I was like 13, 14, I started gaining the confidence and belief that, you know, I could do this one day. And uh, here I am now. Yeah. And you're doing incredibly well, Jamie. Was there any one point in time uh, where you thought to yourself, like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be pro. And was there like a certain, like a specific reason? Or was it just kind of a gradual thing where you, you just realized like, okay, I guess... 
I'm going to do this? Uh, I think it was a gradual thing. Um, you know, I, I wasn't completely sure if I wanted to go to school right away. Um, there was a lot of mixed feelings and just what other people were saying and thinking that part of me was thinking about turning pro, but I felt, you know, I, I mean, I can't really turn down a full scholarship. I know I went for two years, but I can always go back and finish and just having that college experience, um, some maturity, um, physically as well. And just being on my own a little bit, I think that helped me a lot. So I'd say maybe when I was 15, 16, I started really thinking like, I can really do this. I think I was a late bloomer, you know, to play like ITFs. I started uh, my junior year of high school when now girls are starting when they're like 13 years old. So maybe if I would have played um, ITFs young uh, when I was like, younger, I would have had the inclination to go pro right away. But I'm kind of happy the, with the path that I've chosen. Yeah, for sure. And I just have to ask this kind of, I guess, side question um, about your sister, Jenna. How did she win state championship on a broken ankle? Like, did she just tape it up and just play? Or like, she how did that work out? Cast, actually. <laughs> Say again? She was in air cast. Oh, wow. Yeah, I um, I wasn't there because I was pretty young. But I remember hearing the stories about it. Um, and uh, yeah, she, she won it in an air cast. It was pretty remarkable. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty sick. And what were your tennis role models uh, when you were young? Um, I always looked up to Kim Kleisters. Um, I guess we share one thing in common that we're both with Fila. But uh, she, you know, I just really enjoyed watching her play, her game style, her craftiness. You know, she's so always so composed and on and off the court. You know, I think she was just probably one of the most well-liked players. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I just really enjoyed watching her play. Awesome. Yeah, she seems like one of the nicest uh, players on tour for sure, um, or at least was on tour. Uh, and a uh, fun one for you. What are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Jamie Loeb? So I was going to say my dance moves, but you gave that away. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess for those that don't know me, <laughs> there you go. Um, I love to dance. Sometimes I think I'm a good dancer, but that's up to your discretion. <laughs> um, people don't know about me. Um, I mean, the reason behind me wearing sunglasses, my eyes are really sensitive to the sun. And ever since I started playing when I was eight years old, um, as wearing sunglasses, I don't know if it's because of my mom. Maybe she was she was the one that got me into it. And I think she she because she um, she taught herself tennis, so maybe. She was like, okay, since I wear sunglasses, you wear sunglasses. Mm. Not really sure how that worked. But um, yeah, my eyes are sensitive to the sun. That's why I wear sunglasses. Um, I I like to shop. I like to online shop. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I do love going to Sephora. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's bad. <laughs> I walk by it and I always turn around and always get at least one thing because I have no self-control. Uh, it happens, you know, you work hard and you just want to de-stress. I mean, they have so many colorful things in there. I mean, how can you not? Exactly. Um, another thing you don't know about me. Mm. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, people probably know this, but I really enjoy food and I really like to eat healthy. But I feel like I don't know. There's nothing like crazy wild 
there's nothing that's like I'm hiding. I feel like <laughs> very transparent yeah. player. Well, <laughs> I I can definitely appreciate that. I asked you for three and you gave me five, which is amazing. And you were still hunting for more. Um, I because I feel like every I feel like people know these things about me. I'm just trying to think of something cool, but I don't know. I don't think I'm that cool. <laughs> Sure, a lot of people do, but I, if at any time you think of anything like randomly while I'm asking you a question, you can just blurt it out. Um, <laughs> but uh, good stuff, Jamie. Appreciate that. And so um, I know we touched upon this a little bit, but I just wanted to go back to your junior career. So at what age did you start seriously training for tournaments as opposed to just like kind of hitting around? Um, I think I was always in the mindset from a young age that, you know, I've, I've always been competitive. And, you know, I started playing tournaments when I was eight years old, but I think maybe like 12, 13, that's when I started kind of taking things um, more seriously. Um, I think from a fitness standpoint, I didn't start like to train hard physically until I was probably 14. And now you see all these girls, like say from like 11, 12 years old, like they're doing things that I never even did. So I think that's like a, the biggest difference right now. And I kind of wish um, from a physical standpoint, I did more and maybe took that a little bit more seriously. But from a tennis standpoint, I think, you know, I was always pretty focused and I, I played a lot of tournaments, um, a lot of junior tournaments in my age group, even the age group up. But um, yeah, that was, was one thing my mom always had me signed up for, for every uh, sectional and level one there was, every national open. Wow. What? I know it might be hard to remember, but like approximately how many tournaments would you say you like played in a year? I remember one year, I think it was like my, I don't know which year it was, maybe my last year of juniors. I won eight sectionals in a row. I know it's different now the way they have the USTA junior tournaments, but I remember I won eight in a row. So that's eight right there. Plus Hmm. four nationals. Um, Maybe that year I played some ITFs. I don't know. I mean, I'd say at least probably played like 20, at least 20 tournaments. Cool. That Yeah, that's Which, substantial. Yeah, I was just curious because, I mean, sometimes you hear about like discussion on how many tournaments is too much and like there's fear of burnout with juniors and whatnot. So, I mean, when you were playing that many tournaments, did you ever feel burned out or anything or were you just like just pretty much loving it and crushing everyone? um i know there's times where i maybe i wanted i i did want to play itfs um but also from a financial standpoint there's that and just traveling i think at the time i was still in regular school and i think they gave me a hard time about traveling so i had to kind of stay in the states which when i played itfs i only stayed in the states except for the junior slams but you know i think I don't think I was burnt out. Um, maybe it got repetitive after a while playing the same junior tournaments, especially the sectionals. But, you know, it was match play. I got to work on things. Um, but now it's just so different, the scheduling. And, you know, a lot of um, the girls and the boys, they're they're not playing as many USTA tournaments and going straight to ITFs. And I know there's a limit of how many you can play. Um, I'm not sure like how many, but there's definitely some type of limit, um, which I think is good because you don't want to burn your kids out from a young age, especially the bigger tournaments, um, especially like those ITFs, you know, there's more experienced kids and it's just a different environment. And, um, you know, it's easy to kind of, I think, burn out at that age. So you just kind of want to be careful. 
Yeah, for, for sure. Great points, Jamie. And so uh, I hope my research is correct because after I found out that your mom isn't coaching you, I put everything into question as far as like what I looked at. But I did read that you decided to finish up high school online. Did your parents have any reservations about the decision and talk through how you came up uh, with that decision? Yeah, so that is correct. Um, so I went to Austin High School up until my um, sophomore year. And then, yeah, it was a big discussion. Um, you know, I think, I mean, my parents have always been, you know, pro education and, um, you know, finishing school and just getting a good education. And I think it was a risk because then, you know, playing more tournaments and financially having to travel a little bit more and, you know, train more. And, you know, I think we were all a little bit nervous, like, is this the right decision? And, I mean, I've sacrificed so much for tennis my entire life, obviously missing birthday parties and events. And, you know, this was another big sacrifice, like not seeing my friends on a daily basis. And I knew it'd be tough to see them because I'd be traveling a lot and missing out on things. I never went to prom, so I didn't have that experience. But, you know, it's tennis. I'm I'm used to it. I'm used to the sacrifices. And I mean, it, hopefully they'll pay off eventually. But I, I did Laurel Springs for two years and, you know, it worked out. And um, I'm actually still close with uh, some of my friends from Austin, two of them especially. So I'm glad we've kept in touch after all these years. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. We had Dennis Kudla on the previous episode, 65, um, and him and a lot of other great players from JTCC here in Maryland also did an abbreviated schooling thing. And it's just what you have to do when you're prioritizing tennis um, to the fullest. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, and as far as high school, I know that you played uh, high school tennis for a bit. And I was curious on your take about um, whether you think high school tennis is a good training ground for serious junior players and um, if there's anything you'd like to see maybe improved in the high school tennis system. Yeah, so I played high school tennis from 7th, to 10th grade I won the state championship my sophomore year and I think I lost in the finals my freshman year I believe um so I mean it was it was tough because the level was nowhere near the level I was playing even just in the eastern section like to be honest it was quite boring for me just the the matches within your conference and league states was better because it was more it was it consisted of the girls I was playing against in sectional. So at least like there's better matches, but yeah, it did take some time out of my training. Um, my coach or Jay, who actually I still work with somewhat now, he, he wasn't thrilled when I would miss, um, practice for a high school tennis match. But, um, you know, I think also it, it, it depends where you are. I mean, I played for Austin and we did not have a good team, some schools in our conference were okay, but like I said, it wasn't until states and I think, what is it called, regional, something like that, um, where it got a little bit better. So I don't know. I don't know how it is for other states, like how the competition is and who plays in it. But if the level isn't good, I probably wouldn't recommend it just because it'll take time out of your day and take time out of your training. And I'm not saying it set me back in any way, but it really wasn't necessary for me to play some of those matches, but at least I won a state championship for my school, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like you said, I mean, you have to assess your own game and then how much competition can you face because you certainly don't want to be wasting a lot of time just double bageling people everywhere. But like you probably did. Um, but, you know, just to shift a bit to some probably higher intensity training, I wanted to ask you what your experience uh, was like training at the John McEnroe Tennis Academy. So I was there for about six years. Um, you know, I think in the beginning, there was a lot of good players there. Um, I mean, me and Noah Rubin were there. I think he might have there been there like a year before me. But, um, you know, there was a lot of good guys and good girls to train with and coaches. Um, I'm still working with my coach, Felix Alvarado. He's actually a, in pro world in Florida. And then when I'm home in New York, Jay Davichetti, who worked with me as a junior and when I was eight years old. Um, I work with him at home. But yeah, I enjoyed my time there. But, um, you know, kind of have to move on from that. But, uh, you know, it's a great facility. They have a lot of resources there. So um, yeah, I was fortunate to train there. Awesome. And I was just curious, you know, to get it, give a glimpse to the audience, like what a day in the life of is it like academies and whatnot. So I just wanted to ask you what a typical day uh, was like at JMTA. So, I mean, one thing, it's tough being in New York because of court time. Um, court time, weather, members, that's kind of the beauty of Florida where you don't really have that problem. Um, maybe rain here and there, but there's unlimited court time. So my schedule kind of changed depending on the day and what was available. I would train anywhere from like two to four hours a day tennis-wise, um, like I said, depending on the day. And then fitness, like hour and a half, two hours. But, I mean, I would split everything up into to two sessions, tennis-wise. And, um, I mean, I'd say right now, I practice when I'm home, like, four hours a day, and then do fitness between an hour and a half and two hours. Nice. It's pretty solid. And uh, I also read that you, you know, obviously you've met John McEnroe and you practice with him and whatnot. Uh, was there anything in particular that surprised you about John that uh, when you met him that you may not have thought he would have been like before you met him so the very first time I hit with him um I mean I was probably like 15 um I was like I stepped in the court and I was ready to do mini tennis and <laughs> he looked at me and he was like unless we're playing a game let's move back <laughs> so I was like all right like this wow. is off to a great start so I moved back pretty quickly and I'm like mm, okay <laughs> Um, so yeah, there was that, but after a while, I mean, I got used to, you know, him and his personality. I mean, basically the way he is commentating the way he was on court is exactly what you would expect from him. You know, he's pretty intense. Um, he, he loves the sport. He's very passionate about it. He does get frustrated when he misses <laughs> even against me, even against kids younger than me. Um, even when we're just hitting, not even when we're playing points, but, um, I mean, yeah, when we were playing points, he, he gets pretty heated. So, yeah, it, it's very intense, and we, we've had some pretty intense battles because we're both super competitive and don't like to lose and whole trash talk and <laughs> try to get in your ear, and I don't like that, and I don't take that, so I'll try to talk back, and, um, yeah, so sometimes I got a little too heated. <laughs> oh, wow. So what's an example of one thing that he has said to you as far as, like, the trash talk? <laughs> Um, he's tried to intimidate me with calls. Um, oh. uh, yeah, like questioning me. I've questioned him. There was some 
questionable calls, even on Clay. I remember he circled a mark, and I was like, mm, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, he tries to intimidate me with calls. I remember there was one time he was fussing over the net, saying it was too low, and then he had Felix, my coach, measure it. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, boy. But, no, I mean, it, it's John. Uh, once you start playing with him, you you kind of know what to expect. And, um, you know, he, he, he means well. He's just super competitive and has a lot of passion for this sport. But, yeah, no, he's he's given me some good advice and, um, you know, about transitioning and consistency. And, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely a passionate guy and uh, great for the game. For sure. And another side question, I guess. I mean, uh, mini tennis is pretty standard for a warm up, right? Like, do, don't, don't most pros do that? Like, just hit from yes, the service line? Okay, but cool. I think, yeah, but when I see guys warm up with each other, most of them don't do mini tennis. Maybe not most, but there's like at least half, like, they don't do mini tennis. So like, maybe that's a guy thing. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I, I guess maybe they've like warmed up beforehand, but. Um, I don't know. I definitely always do that. Um, so cool, cool. And then also, obviously, you mentioned a little bit earlier in the in the episode about your amazing experience at the U.S. Open in 2015, where you played uh, Wozniacki. So I I just want to kind of get into um you just discussing your experience when you played there after winning the American Co- Collegiate Invitational and how that was. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, definitely a great experience. Um, actually got the wall. Yeah. I got the wild card from winning NCAAs. Then after that I turned pro. Um, yeah. So my pro debut was playing on Arthur Ashe first match on against Wozniacki. So that's one way to start your pro career. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a great experience. It was tough leading up to it because I was a little bit injured, so I couldn't prepare the way I wanted to. I mean, I felt completely fine during my match. But the preparation was tough and a little overwhelming because, um, I mean, I don't don't have an agent now. I didn't have an agent then. So um, all the calls and emails were going through me. And a lot of people were trying to talk to me and do interviews and all this. And it's hard for me to say no to people. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. And it it got a little overwhelming. And I kind of learned from that, you know, to kind of shut your phone off and uh, you don't have to respond to everyone and just kind of take some time for yourself. But, you know, overall, like the match is a great experience. Um, I had my whole entire family there. My mom, my mom did watch, like I said, that was probably the only singles match I remember her watching. Um, yeah, she watched, she watched me get bageled in the second set, but maybe it'll be a first and last for her. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience and, um, I definitely learned a lot from that. For sure. I mean, well, I guess you mentioned like one huge lesson with the uh, whole media thing, but what was maybe another big lesson or takeaway that, that you had from that experience? I mean, I, I learned like I'm right there. The level isn't significantly better than mine. Um, I was expecting more of a gap and I think that's, you know, if I went in the mindset before the match and you know I can do this like you know there's they don't make it seem bigger than anything bigger than what it is even though it was a big match but you know I I learned that I'm right there with my game and that gave me confidence to know that and you know we had a lot of close games I had some opportunities but um definitely gave me a lot of confidence knowing that I'm right there for sure and um 
Just want to go back to your decision to uh, attend UNC. I mean, obviously, you know, at, at that point, you're a fantastic uh, junior player. And I'm just wondering um, how you decided uh, to attend college instead of uh, going uh, pro full-time instead. Yeah, so like I said earlier, I, you know, people, I kind of had, you know, I was kind of pulled in different directions. Um, or at least I thought I was, but you know, I think people expected me to turn pro right away just because of my success from juniors. And I wasn't too sure. My parents wanted me to go to school, um, definitely get education and to have a full ride. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> college is a lot of money. So for them not to pay that, that I knew that would be huge. And uh, as far as going to UNC, I had no idea where I wanted to go. I visited Northwestern, um, my doubles partner and junior is Maddie Lip. She's from Chicago and she committed to Northwestern. She's like, come visit. Like you can stay at my house. I like, just visit. And I did. Um, I mean, it, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be the school for me, but you know, at least it gave me some experience on, you know, schools I can compare it to. And then I remember Jenna. So Jenna went to Wake Forest and my assistant coach at the time, um, as being recruited in my freshman year of college, Sarah Anderson, she hosted Jenna on her recruiting trip when Jenna visited UNC. So Jenna knew Brian and Sarah um, just from college. And she, um, I think Brian recruited Jenna. And uh, so Jenna Facebook messaged Sarah, asked if um, they had any interest in me. And they actually thought I was going to Michigan. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because I think the Michigan coach was um, watching all my matches. So they were under the impression that I was going to Michigan. And I was like, no, I'm not. I actually don't know where I'm going. And so then I got in contact with Brian and Sarah. I took a visit. Jenna came with me to my visit. And, you know, Haley Carter, who I'm really close with, um, she committed. Um, you know, I was good, good friends with her in juniors. And, you know, she was convincing me and I visited and I really, you know, got along with the girls on the team and the school is beautiful and it's not too far away from home. So it, it was a perfect fit overall. And um, so I committed, I think uh, I verbally committed sometime like late June of my senior year, I think. That's awesome. And so the only schools that you even thought about were Northwestern and UNC or were there some others that you visited or thought I, about? Um, I, those are the only two I visited. I, I was in touch with Georgia, UVA, Florida, I didn't want to go West Coast, so I, I ruled out Stanford, UCLA, USC, Cal, ruled that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, you know, everything kind of felt right with UNC, and I just went with my gut, and I'm really happy I went there. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you won a national championship. Can't really get better than that. Um, and and were you? Did you rule out the West Coast schools just because you wanted to kind of stay close to home? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Um, I'm definitely close to my family too, so I definitely respect that um, for sure. So, uh, what was your first memory of your college tennis career? 
My first memory? Yeah. Yeah, like the first thing you can remember about your college tennis career. Um, I mean, a lot of memories. My very first memory, I mean, I guess tennis-wise, being able to go from pre-qualifying to winning All-Americans, I was pretty impressed with myself on that. Um, I think I remember saying to Sarah when I was in qual, like my first round qual, like after I pre-qualified as in qualifying, I remember like my first round qualifying match. I'm like, I'm so tired. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I don't know. I just, I was so tired after just like three matches and I had some doubles and she's like, it's okay. Like one at a time, just focus on this. And then I somehow got my second wind and qualified. And then I don't know. It was, I was like a different person in main draw. I felt super fresh. And, um, yeah, I, I was super fresh for that. And that, that was pretty impressive on, on my part and something I'll never forget, knowing I can win 11 matches in a row um, in, in a week or so. So, um, yeah, that, that was probably one of my first, um, I'd say, tennis college memories. Wow, that's incredible. That's a lot of tennis. Man, great stuff there. And so while at UNC... Um, what element or elements of your game did you improve the most? Uh, let's see. I mean, I think, you know, physically, um, I got a bit stronger there. Um, changed my serve when I was in school. But, um, you know, I think from a mental standpoint, I remember in college, I just, I was so like zoned in when I was playing matches. And that's kind of like what I'm getting back to now is like finding that like tunnel vision that I had when I was playing matches that like nothing can phase me and like nothing can affect me. And like, you know, I have all the support behind me and I'm going to use it, but I'm going to like dig deep within myself. And um, that's something I think I learned about myself in school for sure. And, you know, um, like I said, I'm, I look back on that time, like, from time to time. I actually remember I watched one of my college matches randomly like last month just to see like what I was doing. Um, obviously the level is different, but just to see how I handled myself and like, you know, what I was doing on the court. So I'm, I'm glad I can kind of go back to some of those moments because those are some of the best moments of my career and my life. And um, yeah. Awesome. And so, I mean, with the tunnel vision that you had and that like incredible focus, do you have any tips on like how to cultivate that or develop that? Because like you mentioned, one of the things that you improved the most was being able to just like have a, have a laser like focus on the courts. I was wondering if there was anything you did in college, like any exercises that you guys did as a squad to cultivate that? Or is there anything that maybe you did? You know, I think, I mean, our coaches were really big on, you know, us being like, cheerleaders for each other and um supporting one another and we would have team meetings we did read this book in school I forgot the name of it but um you know each week like one of us would have to present a chapter like with another teammate and basically like like talk about what it means to you so I think like finding something that you can really connect with um what like helps whether it's reading or meditation or visualization I'm a I'm a very uh, visual person, so I benefit from any sort of vis uh, visualization. Um, and, you know, like, I think the mental side of it, of tennis, is probably the biggest part, especially right now and on the pro tour, like, being mentally tough. I think that's really important. That's something that I've been paying more attention to and taking more time on improving. So I think, I mean, if, 
if you want to be successful, it has to come down to you and what you really want to achieve and accomplish. And if, you know, if you're willing to put in the mental work, um, it's not easy at all. Like you have to do that day in and day out. And that's something I'm learning and you have to be really consistent and diligent about it. I think if you do that, then, you know, you'll see progress. Love that advice, Jamie. And so you mentioned that you're working hard on the mental aspect of the game. Could you give us a little bit of insight into what kinds of things you're working on regarding the mental game? I'm a perfectionist. So um, I think just that aspect, letting go more. It's, it's interesting that I get more mad in practice than in matches. So kind of, you know, making my practice a little more um, worthwhile and uh, not wasting time, um, you know, from my emotions. So I think that aspect and, um, you know, just being more process oriented instead of result oriented, which is tough. And I think it's tough for me and I think it's tough for a lot of players as well. But just really trusting the process and trusting the work that you're putting in. Awesome. Great stuff. And you did mention uh, a couple of things like meditation, and I'm a huge fan of meditation. I was just curious if uh, if you actually also practice meditation. I I don't practice meditation. Um, maybe I should, but I'm more of like a bit, I do like more visualization and um, yeah, I, I haven't really done meditation. I mean, the closest thing I guess is yoga, but um, I haven't done any serious meditation work. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, visualization is, um, I feel like it's like somewhat related anyway, but it's, it's hugely, um, helpful. Um, so that's great. Great to know that you do that. And hopefully, um, some people listening could try that out as well. So as far as your time at UNC, I also was wondering, and you gave us a lot of great uh, things about what you learned there, but can you remember maybe uh, a, a piece of advice that your coach gave you while at UNC, or it could even be a player that, that has stuck with you that you try to apply in your game? Um, I mean, Brian, Brian's a great coach, and I still talk to him to this day. Um, with, you know, we talk from time to time, but, um, you know, he, him and Jay and Felix, they've all you know, said how much they believe in me and the confidence they have in me, which has helped. But, um, you know, I think Brian is big on um, us pushing each other, like all our teammates pushing each other and believing. And I remember there was a match, I think, besides me winning NCAAs, even though I think this match is probably my most memorable match in college, is when we beat Stanford in the Final Four like for the first time ever um, at NCAA is my freshman year and the match came down to me and I knew this in the middle of my first set. I lost the first set seven, six to Christian and then I won. Oh, and which, <laughs> which I was not expected. And I love how people after the match are like, yeah, like I knew you were going to win. Oh, and I was like, yeah, okay. Like that, that's not a call that you make. <laughs> So I remember after I lost that first set, I said to my assistant coach Sarah, I'm like, I'm going to win this. Like, I am not losing this. I am going to win this match. And like, I got really fired up. And, you know, I think just having that belief in myself and just having my teammates there as well, like that gave me confidence. And, you know, I'll never take that for granted. We were such a close team. And uh, my teammates are, you know, some of my best friends now. And I, um, I mean, as you saw, you saw Tessa in Washington. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, 
So I think just having the overall support was probably, you know, it was, it was great for me. And I think, you know, it's, it's great for tennis players in general, because we don't have that consistent camaraderie um, on tour. It's you or it's you and your team, but when you're playing, it's just you. So I'll never, I'll never take that for granted. Um, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome to have that um, support system, um, you know, to feel a little bit comfortable and to have people really behind you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like no matter, you know, where you are, you know that you have a great team behind you and your family and, and fans all rooting for you and you want to just perform the best you can so that everyone's happy within your support system. That's that's fantastic. And I was also curious um, to close out your experience at UNC. I was wondering how many days a week approximately that you can remember that your team trained fitness versus on-court practice. I'm always kind of interested in like how training is structured. So if, if maybe you could kind of go through that and, and also if it changed in the spring, you could mention that too. So, I mean, we worked, um, I mean, Monday through Friday, um, there's the eight hour rule where you can like only work out with the coaches, um, during, um, a few weeks when like our, when we're not really in season and that's kind of when we are in the gym more because we couldn't be on court that much, but yeah, we worked, I mean, we worked every, um, every day during the week, um, weekends, you know, if we just kind of whatever you want to do. So, and, uh, yeah, the fall was more intense and then the spring was more kind of maintaining what you built in the spring, uh, what you built in the fall because we had matches, um, throughout the weeks. So the fall was a little bit more, um, I think when I left, um, they started doing a little bit different stuff and like maybe more intense stuff. So I feel like I could have gained a little bit more physically than what I got out of it. Definitely got stronger, but, um, nowhere near to what I am now. So yeah. Gotcha. I appreciate that insight there. Um, and then ultimately, I mean, you obviously left on a, a high note, I believe, but you know, how did you uh, decide to to leave uh, UNC uh, early to go on the tour? So I played as an amateur that entire summer um, when I went NCAAs in 2015 until I found out I got into the U.S. Open. And then once I found out I got into the U.S. Open, I turned pro because A, that was a lot of money. <laughs> and- <laughs> my ultimate goal was to turn pro and I think if I would have stayed there more I don't think my game would improve um or improve at the rate that I would want it to just because it it, nothing it's not not with the coaches it's just we don't have you I mean I just don't have the time to spend on core like I spend now I mean you got school, I mean, you have, you know, social events, you, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. So you can, you can never put in the same amount of work and effort as you do when, you know, it's just tennis. So I wanted to give myself a chance and I felt that was the right time to do it. And I did it. Yeah. And it's worked out really well. You've had such a great trajectory, um, since you've joined the the tour. And what are some big differences that you've seen between, college tennis players and uh, pro level players pro tennis is very selfish very very selfish and 
sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. I try not, like, you know, I'll never do anything to, like, hurt anyone or, you know, do something shady, but you have to, you have to make some selfish sacrifices, um, miss certain things, or say even doubles, you say you're going to play with someone, and then you guys, you know, you're not going to get in, so then you have to, like, find someone else, um, and I think people, I learned to take care of my body much better when, um, on, on tour than in college, I, I mean, it's, it's physically more demanding now too. the level is different. So you have to be more careful with your body and do all the little things and the right things. Um, you know, my dynamic warmups have gotten more intense, um, you know, taking things more seriously than I did in college, just the levels are different. So you can get away with things in college, but you can't get away with those things on tour if you want to be successful. Interesting. That's really interesting. And so like you mentioned that your dynamic warmup is more intense. So is that just the duration or like, is I mean, because like when I think of dynamic warmup, I'm thinking, uh, oh, you know, like I just want to make sure that I get warmed up enough to play. But like, what, what did you change in your dynamic warmup? Uh, I mean, I've added more mobility to make sure that I'm loose. I mean, Everyone has certain restrictions. I have my restrictions, so I make sure I target those areas and spend more time there. Um, and just, you know, making sure I'm, like, ready to go. Like, whether I'm practicing for 30 minutes, for hour and a half, or two hours, three hours, like, just making sure, like, I'm ready to go and, like, I'm not going to waste time on court. And, um, you know, kind of get in that mind frame when you're warming up and just – be a little more focused and in tune of what you're doing. Awesome. Yeah. I really like hearing how important, like even little things like, well, supposedly little things like the warm up yeah. are. Cause uh, you know, I, I guess from your vantage point, you're, you're thinking like, I need to do this to perform my best. And cause a lot of people, I mean, mostly amateurs, they'll blow off the warm up. But I mean, if you think kind of long term about how much it's going to help you or like stretching, how much it's going to help you not feel like crap, then, uh, yeah. you're, you're more likely to do that. So that's great stuff. I appreciate that. So I know I just asked you about a, a typical day training in college, but I'm also curious about your typical day of training while on the tour. So like practice or when I'm, Oh yeah, I should specify. Yeah. So let's go with a week that you're not playing at a tournament or that it's not coming up. So I guess like more in training mode. Yeah. So, um, once again, if there's, court availability in New York. Um, normally it'd be two sessions, two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, or two hours in the morning, hour and a half in the afternoon. Um, fitness, sometimes in between and after, or sometimes right at, uh, just afterwards. Um, really depends on um, you know how I'm feeling as well. But sometimes double sessions of tennis and fitness, sometimes one session of each. So, um, I mean, it's kind of up to me and what the coaches think. So it varies. Gotcha. And I guess a lot of people are totally confused as far as how many days a week to lift, like, you know, lift heavy, lift light, should we even lift and how to partition their fitness. I was just curious how much of the fitness training you do is weight training. You know, I think definitely um, like three, three days a week, mm -hmm. at least when I'm at tournaments, I've done a much better job of maintaining my fitness, whether it's, you know, if I have a day off, like doing light stuff in the gym on a day off or like, you know, 
going for a little run or doing like a little bit of weights or core or whatever. But in the past, I was always there's, I was always so hesitant to do anything at a tournament because there's this conspiracy conspiracy that you're going to get sore and a lot of people a lot of players shy away from doing fitness at tournaments. When I realized, like, look, I I train more than I'm actually you know, playing matches. And if I can sustain that training on a day-to-day basis, I know there's more emotions and nerves involved in a match, but like I can still do something when I'm on the road. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's strength training when I'm home, like three days a week. Awesome. That's very helpful. And so I, I know that obviously a lot of players have coaches, a lot don't. Um, but do you travel with a coach? And, and if so, how frequently does your coach travel with you to tournaments? Yeah, so my coach is Felix. Like I said, he's in Florida in Pro World. So he moved there um, exactly a year ago. So, um, I would say he comes with me half half the amount of time. I mean, obviously it's um, costly financially, but um, he also works at the academy, so he can't take off a ton of time. But sometimes I like being on my own. Um, it's good to be independent and kind of do things by yourself. Um, I've had my best results when I've been by myself, which is strange enough. Um, I've won every pro tournament by myself. Uh, actually the very first one I, Jay was there, but, um, other than that, yeah, I won every other one by myself. So that's pretty interesting. And I, but I, I do like having a coach there and, you know, someone to just another set of eyes, um, someone to do extra stuff with after a match or after a practice, if you want feeding or, you know, any specific stuff, it's nice to have. And just, you know, the, the tour is lonely. So just to have someone there, someone to have dinner with, to like, you know, talk to like interact with. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, do you ever also travel with, cause I know like some, I guess mainly like top 10, I don't, I don't know, but like they travel with like a a huge crew of people. So do you travel with physios or stringers or anything as well? (laughs) Funny if I had the money for it, maybe (laughs) (laughs) not where I'm at. Um, I mean, maybe for top 10, you can afford a stringer. I don't think I've seen anyone with a stringer, personal stringer on tour. Um, I had a, a trainer, my trainer who I used, um, last year and the year before he, he went to like two, two tournaments with me, uh, just him. But like I said, it's it's expensive. And, um, you know, the USTA does a good job of providing, um, either physio or strength and conditioning coach or, um, a regular coach to a lot of the tournaments in the States. So I make use of those, uh, resources and, uh, it's definitely helpful. Awesome. And it's funny because I remember after meeting you and uh, following you on Instagram, I saw a couple of posts where you were saying that Tessa was the best trainer or something like that. So I was like, wait, is that her trainer? But um, yeah, I guess that was not not true. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah, she um, so I put her down in Newport Beach in February, I put her down as physio. Um, so we just have this joke that she's my physio and then in DC, she got promoted to coach and on court with me. So, and she, she might come to a couple of tournaments with me this fall. So she might be a coach again. Maybe she can redeem herself, but yeah, (laughs) she she did stretch me out a couple of times in Newport. So she could, she could be my physio. There you go. That qualifies. 
Um, and I guess the, the recent questions that have been a good segue to this one where obviously it's tough um, to stay uh, afloat financially on the tour. And uh, so I was curious how hard it is like in general and if, if you've ever had any you know, like issues with it as well. Yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, you know, um, I mean, my parents can't support me financially as much as they wish they could, but I've, you know, I found some ways it's still probably not enough than what I need right now, but, um, I don't know how a lot of these players do it, to be honest. (laughs) It's so expensive. And, um, like I've said before, having a coach, you know, it's the weeks I'm by myself. I'm like, Oh wait, this is great. Like I only have one expense instead of two expenses. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's a struggle on where I'm at. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm making money. Maybe I'm breaking even, maybe I'm making a little bit, um, from the slams, but besides the slams throughout the year, like unless you're winning tournaments consistently, you know, you're not, you're not making much. I say if you're top 70, you are, but I'm like 160 right now. So it's, yeah, it's definitely not easy. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you giving us insight about that. I, I actually remembered uh, interviewing Clay Thompson um, a while back, and he was talking about how he writes scripts or something like like that to make extra money, and and it's definitely very tough. But uh, as as far as the expenses, I know obviously the the coaching is a huge one. But what's maybe like one expense on the tour that you maybe like realized after looking at your statement that you were like, wow, like this is a lot more than I thought, or this really is like a substantial expense. I mean, the plane tickets and hotels definitely add up and they add up pretty quick. So, I mean, I'd say that, I guess it's not a surprise, but just seeing how much you spend on that, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, um, you know, I mean, I get my racket strung pretty often when I'm at tournaments. So that, that definitely adds up it all adds up it's like i said it, it's it's a grind and you kind of got to hustle out there yeah for sure um but uh i mean you love the game and and you know you're, you're rising and uh you know I'm, I'm sure that you're you're loving it uh, more than anything else that you could possibly be doing right now and uh, also just curious is it pretty easy to get housing um like people to host you is that is that something that you try to do in the States, it is. In other countries, it's not as common. Um, I try to do it when I'm in the States, but then there's some weeks where I just want my space and like staying at a hotel just so I can do my own thing and, you know, don't have to entertain and don't feel like, you know, I'm intruding. But um, I've done housing. Um, yeah, it helps and it definitely saves a lot of money. And it's also a great way to make connections with people and stay in touch with them. So I've benefited from it. Awesome. And so I was wondering too, like what your relationship is like with your fellow American players, like, um, like who you are maybe closest with and what kinds of things you, you do with them to hang out and relax. Yeah, I think, you know, the American players, we kind of stick together and it's nice. Um, even when we're in foreign countries and there's an American player, you kind of like gravitate towards them. And, um, I think, you know, the USTA has kind of done a good job of having that camaraderie and like bringing us all together and like having Team USA, holding some dinners um, and events, you know, for all of us to kind of get together and just, um, yeah, and just 
you know, celebrate us, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with, you know, Christian, Jenny Brady, Asia Muhammad, um, Grace Min. I mean, they're all the girls that those are the ones that just came off on the top of my head. <laughs> um, and then my teammate Haley Carter, she's back on tour. So I'm really happy she's back. Um, we're super close and, you know, I get to see her and I think I'll get to see her in a couple of weeks in California. So that'd be good. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, the guys and, and the guys and girls, I think we're all pretty close. And Louisa Trico. Sorry, Louisa. I have to give her a shout out. My, my fellow New Yorker. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Awesome. That's great stuff. And then, I mean, what's your favorite thing to do to, to relax, like after either a long training session or like a stressful uh, tournament? Definitely some Netflix, mm-hmm. online shopping with money I probably don't have, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> um, and then when I'm home, I like being with my dog, Jada. She's actually on the lap right now, and she's been really good and just sitting here. So, <laughs> uh, What breed? She's a Maltese. Nice. She's, a, she's three years old, I think. Um, and also, I, I love spending time with my family and friends. Um, I don't get to see them that often. I do live at home, so I really try to, you know, spend time with everyone. And you know, it, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, what 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 are you watching right now on Netflix? I'm watching Narcos. I'm almost oh. done with it. I'm on season three, episode like five, and I really like it. Yeah, me too. I I watched a couple seasons. Uh, a little violent, but very interesting for sure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very violent at times. I think season one and two were better. Season three, it's okay, but since like Pablo Escobar is out of the picture, I'm not like super, super into it, but it's still interesting. Yeah, same here for sure. And so our audience really enjoys inspiring stories because they can definitely relate. Um, so I was wanted to ask you um, what has been the lowest point in your career and then how are you able to overcome it? So the year I turned pro, 2015, I, like I said, that summer, I was a little, I got a little, a little injured, played the Open, had to take three months off. And um, those are tough three months for me because I never had a serious injury like that before. So I didn't know really how to handle it. And coming back, I lost a lot of matches. Um, I, I played two tournaments in the States, lost first round qualies. Then last minute, I made an impulsive decision to go to Chile to play a 25. I'm like, all right, any matches on red clay, lose first round there, go all that way to lose first round. Beginning of the year, lost matches. Then in January, January, I lost a bunch of matches. Maybe won a few rounds in qualifying, but I don't think I won a main draw match. Then I... I went to Midland, Michigan. Didn't have much confidence. I'm like, you know what, whatever. I'm just going to you know, maybe something will happen. Qualify, um, make it to the quarters. It was in the quarters. I had some good wins there. That gave me a lot of confidence. And then I went on to win a 25 the week after in Surprise, Arizona. So I was feeling really good about myself. Um, I think I got a main draw wild card to Indian Wells. Lost to Zarina Diaz, uh, like three and four or something like that. And then, oh, no, before, I think before Indian Wells, I lost 7-6 in the third to Shuai Zhang, who was 26 in the world at that point. So, I mean, for a 25K, I was surprised she was playing that. But, you know, still had confidence from that. 
Then after Indian Wells, I believe, I went on a nine-match losing streak. <laughs> I did not win a single match, qualifying, main draw, nothing. Um, eight, eight matches were on clay, one was on hard, and I was really, really down, very down. I was questioning my decision. I was like, is this right? Should I go back to school? Like, is this right for me? Because each week I'd be like, okay, I was only supposed to play, I think, four tournaments in a row. And then I was like, all right, I'll play another one. I'll play another one. Because I'm like, okay, it's another week, another week. Like, I'll keep training, doing better. I think my coach went to only three out of the eight tournaments. So I was by myself for five weeks. And, um, you know, I was like, all right, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I think most of those matches I lost were in three sets. So I was, I was there, but... I wasn't winning those matches, so I lost confidence from that, really down. And then I I made quarters of a 25 and won a 25. So it's like making it, so I don't know, it seems like a trend. I make quarters and then I win one. I go on like a massive losing streak and then I do that. And then I remember my coach is like, yeah, I think like I'd prefer you to be a little more consistent and then not lose that many matches in a row. But that, that was a tough point in my career, and I, ref, I, I reflected on that and looked back on some of the decisions I made um I would definitely not play it was eight tournaments and then I think maybe like a couple days off and then another one but I still counted as nine in a row I would I would recommend not to play eight tournaments or nine tournaments in a row and I knew my breaking point I knew four is my max maybe five if I'm in the right mind frame but that was way too much for me and uh from I think of a mental and emotional standpoint. So I learned a lot from myself just from that, those nine tournaments and, um, yeah, it wasn't a fun time, but then I was able to regroup and, um, win. Yeah. That's incredible. That must be really tough on, on the psyche. And I mean, how were you able to regroup? Because I think for a lot of people, as they kept losing each one of the, I think you said eight or nine in a row, then they would just like get, in in a worse and worse state so how were you able to to bounce back um to be honest um I don't know I think I, I mean I went home obviously and then my coach went to first tournament where I made quarters actually no it was I was still going I think I played the eight tournaments and I think it took a week off to train and then I had three tournaments in a row. So then the first one, I lost first round. My coaches were a second one. I made quarters. And then third one, he, he wasn't there for, but I made, um, I won El Paso, Texas, the 25. Uh, I don't know what turned it around, to be honest. Um, it was, I don't know, I guess, I think, honestly, winning that first match in the, the tournament I made quarters of, I think that took a lot of pressure off and relieve some of my stress that I had because I, I was pretty tight in that match. It was a match I should have won and I did, but it ended up being more than what it should be because I was like, I don't know. I didn't win a match for a while. So it just meant a lot. And I think just winning that match gave me the momentum again that, okay, like I'm okay. Like everything is fine. And yeah, awesome. just takes yeah. Right. Right. And you, you know, you never gave up, you kept persisting and, and turn it around. That's awesome. So going from the lowest point to a more fun question, what, what has been, in your opinion, the highlight of your pro career so far? Oh, the highlight of my pro career. Um, I mean, getting to play all the slams. Um, I know I've been in qualifying of them, but to be able to play those and 
know, hopefully I can make main draw and qualify. Just see the progression of, you know, how I'm doing in, in those big tournaments. But um, I guess the biggest win was the 60,000 I won in Tasmania last year. And, um, you know, that was a really big win for me. And, um, yeah, I try to look back on that from time to time to gain some of that confidence and where I was at, where I was at in that moment. So I'd say, yeah, those events. Awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a great accomplishment uh, for sure. Uh, winning that one, the 60 K and uh, so another great segue. Thanks to you. Um, I wanted to ask you too about your experience at this year's U.S. Open. I mean, obviously you got a couple of great wins, and then uh, I played Bouchard, which is tough. Um, but yeah, how, how do you assess this year's uh, U.S. Open? Yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, it was tough against Jeannie. She was playing some really good tennis, and um, you know, credit to her for doing that and sustaining it. But I was, you know, honestly, I thought I was playing really well. Um, in all my matches and I haven't been able to say that in a while to, you know, for me putting together three decently, you know, decent matches, even though the last one may not have looked so great, but I feel like I was in every game and every point she just, you know, played much better, but I was, I learned a lot from that and gained a lot of confidence and, um, you know, I qualified in Chicago and then lost to Martich who won the tournament. So that was a tough first round, but overall, I feel like I have more clarity in my game right now and hopefully I can use that to finish off the rest of the year. That's awesome. And and what are your plans for the rest of the year? So I'm going to play 60,000 in Templeton um, on the 24th. And then I believe I'm going to go to Europe for three weeks and play two WTAs in an 80 K and then come back and play um, a few, a couple of challengers in the States and maybe a 125 in Houston. That's awesome. I'm actually going to Europe at the end of September. So I was just curious what, um, which, which countries you're going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, Austria, Luxembourg and France. Nice. Very cool. So as far as the U S open final, I know like everybody has been commenting on the Serena match and like a lot of different, uh, well, a couple of different viewpoints, but I mean, I was wondering if you kind of have a take on that event. Yeah, seems like the talk of the town lately. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I mean, I'm all for like, you know, women and, you know, women's rights and everything. So I understand where Serena's coming for. Maybe it's a little exaggerated. I do believe she shouldn't have gotten the game penalty. Um, if anything, I thought in that moment the ref should have been like, Look, Serena, like you need to calm down or if you keep talking to me like this, you're going to get a game penalty instead of just giving it to her. Cause, um, you know, I mean, people can go back to when Nick Kyrgios played and the ref came down and gave him like a pep talk you know, <laughs> yeah. and he was tanking, um, nothing against him, but just, you know, I feel like the ref could have done something. Um, he could have said something instead of just staring and not saying anything, just giving the game penalty. But I think, you know, she was right that the guy, you know, guys have said far worse things and have gotten away with it. And, um, you know, maybe she did overreact and maybe she should have stopped and kind of moved on and let go a little bit. But it's tough because it's the heat of the moment. It's the finals of the U.S. Open. There's a lot at stake. And, um, yeah, there's emotions. And I feel like we should be able to express our emotions in these pressure filled situations. And we may not always be right, but you know, the consequence, I think, 
wasn't fair for the game penalty, but that's just my take on it. Yeah, I think that's very well put. Um, I definitely do agree. Um, you know, obviously, like, yeah, sure, the reaction wasn't optimal from Serena, but I mean, I really do think that it would have been great uh, if Ramos just at least warned her and said, "Hey, like, you know, you should stop," and you you might you'll get a game penalty if you keep going, but. Yeah, so I appreciate your thoughts on that. And yeah, I guess I have to ask this one too, because I know you've been all around the world. Have you had any like ridiculous tournament experiences in your career, like maybe really crappy courts or just like some ridiculous conditions in like some weird country or anything like that? Um, I mean, probably the worst place I've been to is St. Gaudens, France, where it's just, I feel like there's no people in that town. It's just absolutely. <laughs> like no restaurants open it was just it was very gloomy i was like in the twilight zone i felt like wow. <laughs> and i told myself i would never go back there i haven't been back since it was last year wow. really wild experiences nothing that comes to mind at the moment i bet you like later when i'm in bed thinking about this at night that i'm gonna think of something but that's kind of the only thing that sticks out of my mind right now Gotcha. I'll I'll be sure to call you back, you know, if you think of anything. Okay. No, <laughs> we'll um, have to do a part two. Yeah, that'd be good. Of just crazy experiences in uh, weird places. No. Um good stuff, good stuff. I you know, I know you've been on for long. I I might just try to sneak a couple more questions if you don't mind. Um but do you have either a morning or a night routine? Not not necessarily. Um I try to find time at night to unwind and just kind of be by myself. I'm on my phone quite a bit, so it's kind of tough to get off of it. But when I can, I just try to relax. That's why I try to watch Netflix, something else, something non-tennis related or, you know, something I can enjoy. Um, I guess I'm a morning person, so I'm fine waking up, you know, early in the morning. Not super early, but I like getting things done fairly early in the day. Uh, So that's, that's pretty much it. Cool. That's awesome. And so this question is for all the pros out there who are struggling on the good old IG Instagram. So obviously I mentioned that I revere your Instagram game. And I was wondering if you have any tips for um, fellow pros or really anybody on how they can get out there more on Instagram. Because I do think it's great to see more of players on Instagram. And it's obviously great for marketing yourself. So I was wondering if you have any tips on uh, about uh, that platform. I think everyone should contact Tessa Lyons. <laughs> <laughs> wow, nice. <laughs> Tessa Lyons is the real MVP. Um, she, no, she's she's definitely helped me a lot. Um, I I like using the Instagram stories. Um, I I find that's you know entertaining to me, and um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it as well. Um, people seem to be entertained by it as well, so that's good. But yeah, no, Tessa has definitely uh, helped me up my Instagram, Twitter game, Twitter. I don't like as much. Um, I don't really know what to tweet about. Like I'll retweet things, but I don't really, you know, have much of a say on things or things that I'm so passionate about that I really want to tweet. So I'd say Instagram is probably my favorite social media platform. Uh, it's fun. You have to just use your personality. Everyone is different. Um, you know, I think girls enjoy it more than guys. But, um, yeah, if you have any social media inquiries, I think you should, uh, you know, 
email, call, text Tessa Lyons. She'll give you some uh, good pointers. <laughs> I think you should just like list out her email address right now. <laughs> she definitely wouldn't mind, right? Of course, everyone has to follow me and then I'll give her email out. <laughs> uh, smart. Another smart marketing trick. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know a little, I know things here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very, very evident here. So uh, great stuff. Appreciate that. Uh, those tips there. Uh, what's your favorite food to eat before a tennis match? Haha, <laughs> this is so bad, but I really enjoyed salads, and I know mm. they're probably not the best because I think they're hard to digest. But like chicken, like grilled chicken, avocado in the salad, like really love it. I really love creating my own salads. I'm probably the only person. That's probably something that people don't know about me, unless they follow me on social media, which. Yeah, a lot of people do know this then. Um, I really love salad and I really love avocados. And that's probably the most basic thing you can say, but that is just me. And there's not many people that really enjoy salad, but I do. And I appreciate salad. <laughs> yeah, it's a very healthy uh, food to eat. I've been trying to cut down, uh, uh, lose a little bit of a uh, weight to get more mobile. And I've been having salad like for dinner pretty much every day. And I just had a uh cob salad from chick-fil-a which is actually pretty solid um so that, that, that's <laughs> i guess you can find other alternatives but yeah <laughs> that's good good stuff appreciate that and um you know i see a lot of players like drink all these sorts of like weird looking drinks and so i was curious as to what you drink to stay hydrated during a tennis match i like pedialyte i try to play around with different drinks personally i don't know what the best electrolyte is but I, I use pedialyte and water pretty got much it. it got it very solid i like pedialyte a lot too um and what uh racket string intention do you use i use i switched to the yonix v core 100 and i use Slinko string the hyper g 48 pounds nice 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 and then uh, I know you mentioned Kim Kleisters, but um, I don't know if this would be the same answer, but who is the friendliest pro, uh, male or female, on tour? So, like, male, I want to say, this is an interesting one, Marcos Bagdadis is super nice. Hmm. Um, you know, I've seen him around quite a bit, and, like, somehow we always, like, run into each other, and he's just super nice and always makes jokes, and, um, yeah, I feel like he's someone that, like, anyone can pretty much talk to and have a conversation with. And, um, um, those pros, I mean, actually Wozniacki is very, very nice. Um, I didn't even think she really remembered me from when we played because it was <laughs> a non-memorable, non-memorable match for her, but for me it was. And, uh, I remember I saw her like at a tournament, you know, not like after that, I don't know when, maybe in January and she was she was super nice and like talking to me. So like, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, she didn't have to say anything and yeah, she kicked my butt. But so I was like, Oh, like that, that's kind of cool. That is very cool. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. It's funny that the couple of times that I interviewed Marcos, like one time he was kind of pissed off about like the courts in DC and another time I think he had a late match. And so I, I was actually wondering, I mean, he was still cool, but I was wondering if, you know, if he was pretty nice overall. So that's really great to hear. Yeah. Um, so good stuff. And then who is your favorite tennis player of all time? Oh, Roger Federer, because he's just amazing at life. And <laughs> <laughs> every, obviously like 
he's the, you know, everyone's favorite. Not everyone, but the majority the population in the world because he is Roger Federer. I've actually had the chance to like kind of meet him for a second. So that's nice that I got to, I can say that. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. He's just amazing on and off the court. And I just love watching him play. And I think it's incredible that he's still playing at such a high level. And I just don't want him to ever retire because that's just going to be a very sad day. Agreed. Um, I think that's incredible that I mean, you've met him. Uh, I mean, uh, you're a pro, so I, I, I'm not surprised. But uh, yeah, it's something that a lot of people want to do. And uh, yeah, it was too bad to see him kind of struggle at the Open this year. But I, I really hope he'll come back and win a couple more slams at least. So great stuff, uh, Jamie. I, I want to obviously uh, let everyone know where they can follow you uh, online. So can you let us know like your social media handles and whatnot? Yes, yeah, so they're all the same, Loeb 308 The 308 stands for my birthday, March 8th. So um, I hope you guys remember that and wish me a happy birthday on March 8th. Nice. Happy, <laughs> happy advanced birthday. Yeah. Well, my half birthday was a few days ago. Oh, dang it. <laughs> my sister's is Loeb 310 So a lot of people get us mixed up because our handles are very similar. So yeah, jlobe 308 on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, but Snapchat, I'm, Snapchat, I'm private. Um, Facebook is Facebook. So yeah, follow me. I will entertain you guys. Um, and uh, if you want some great caption inspiration, you know, Tessa Lyons is, uh, <laughs> is your go-to girl. <laughs> That's awesome. I... I for me <laughs> you're definitely not close with tessa lyons for sure okay. <laughs> <laughs> i think she's gotten the biggest shout out of all time right now <laughs> i know i know it's well deserved she's she's definitely pretty cool um so uh jamie my, my last question to you uh is one that i ask pretty much all my guests um what is one piece of advice that you can give our audience on how they can improve their tennis games and they're mostly uh, amateur players I think the first thing is, you know, you need to enjoy the sport. You have to in, like, truly enjoy it and want to, you know, dedicate your time and make sacrifices. If you don't enjoy it, then you're not going to have the results. You're going to waste your own time and and your parents' money, and they won't appreciate that. <laughs> so I'd say you definitely enjoy it. Um, have fun with it. I that's very cliche, but if you're not having fun, then what's the point of doing it? You have to really love it. And whether you want to turn pro, play college tennis, like definitely set goals for yourself and do your best to follow through with them. And even if you don't, you you know, you want to look in the mirror every day and be like, look, I gave it my all. I gave it my best. And this is all I can ask for. Love that advice, Jamie. Uh, and before I thank you profusely for <laughs> coming onto the podcast, I also just want to uh, give a shout out to, uh, uh, Ali Pedernana, who I, I, I hope I didn't butcher the last name, but I, I, I yeah. And I think it was just really hilarious because it, you know, at the uh, players party, I, I approached you and I was like, Hey, uh, did, you know, I, I know you're friends with Ali. And then like, I think I it was, was like, loud. Ali, <laughs> I'm like, I know a lot of Ali's. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that was so funny. Cause then like the next day I like look at my phone and, and then I, I see that you messaged me. You're like, wait, like I, now I know who, you, who you're talking about. Cause I probably didn't enunciate it well or something, but, um, but yeah, that was hilarious, but shout out to Ali. But, um, Jamie, uh, thank you so much for coming on to the tennis files podcast. It was a lot of fun. Um, 
I know we uh, spent a lot of time chatting, and I really appreciate your time. I know you're you're busy and uh, training a lot and traveling, um, but uh, it's very easy to um, you know support a, a really uh, fun and great player like you. So uh, wish you all the best moving forward, and um, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jamie Loeb. Uh, as I mentioned, best of luck to her moving forward. I really had a fantastic time chatting with her and learning more about um, her career and uh, really what types of things has led her to uh, reach uh, the greatest levels of the game. Um, and I really would appreciate it if you all uh, subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that by hitting the subscribe button in the podcast app of your choice. Um, and if you want to check out any of the uh, links or the show notes for this episode, you can just go to tennisfiles.com slash 66. And as I always like to do at the end of a show, I'm going to leave you with a quote. And this one is by Francis of Assisi. And he said, start by doing what's necessary then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Love that quote. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to uh, this episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, again, I highly encourage that you uh, follow uh, Jamie on uh, her social media platforms and when she plays. Uh, definitely a great player to watch. And once again, really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the show. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.